0: Speedway. Talk Speedway. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Talk Speedway podcast with myself, Scott Frame, and of course my loyal sidekick, as he likes to be known, <laughs> Graham Muncy. <laughs> that's a, Scott, th- that, this has uh, proven a bit of a bone of contention as you text me drunkenly last night about <laughs> being a sidekick. You're not happy about this, are you?
1: Don't know what you're on about Scott. <laughs> if I can't remember, it didn't happen.
0: <laughs> a good weekend then?
1: It was, it was, um, finding ways to fill my f- Friday nights with no speedway, um, I found quite a way to do it this weekend.
0: Yes, uh, how did, we, obviously we spoke last week about the Halloween team of the weekend and this week in the fan zone, uh, we decided because I think the two of us are actually bursting at the seams when it comes to sweets <laughs> and chocolates, um, how did you get on, I think in Scotland they're called geysers, I don't know if they're called that anywhere else in the country, uh, but That's trick-or-treaters, so- did you have a few round?
1: We had oh, two at the door, which I was a bit surprised on, um, but it just meant all the more sweets left over for me, so there was no complaints there.
0: Correct. So later on in the fans zone, we'll be taking your uh, speedway-themed chocolate sweets and any other kind of what would you call it guilty pleasures for the one to be a phrase that would be said some absolute crackers
1: did not let us down again this week Scott
0: yeah, definitely not let us down uh, coming up in today's show we're going to be talking to Peter Oakes uh, of Speedway Star Daily Star fame Speedway legend essentially Speedway royalty we've got on the podcast this week uh, about his book with Ty Wiffenden, Ty Wiffenden's autobiography Ross Breed which again I said in the first podcast if anybody ever hears me saying that I've read a book i be. <laughs> Completely lying, so I listened to it this week. It's absolutely fantastic. So we'll be chatting to Peter about that. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway. So Peter, welcome to the Talk Speedway podcast. Uh, obviously, a busy period for yourself. We're going to get on to talking about Ty Whithamden's book uh, uh, just shortly. Uh, but ju- just quickly, how how did the book how did it come about that you got to write Ty Whithamden's book? It
2: was was quite strange in some ways. It was probably, you know, back in 2015 when, you know, I was in the pit somewhere and, you know, Ty was there. And afterwards, when we were talking, he just sort of said, "Oh, oh, are you going to write my book for me? And to be honest with you, I never thought anything about it. About a year later, he said exactly the same thing. And still, I didn't you know, you know, people say this, don't they? You, you, you go into the pits and there's always someone coming up and saying, oh, you should write my life story. I've got a great life story to tell. Anyway, my uh, grandson, Josh Goodgen, who you know, has been particularly friendly with you know, Ty for the last five years since he was in university at Sheffield and Ty was living in Sheffield at the time. I just said to Josh, hey, Ty keeps mentioning this, Josh, do you think he, you know, does he actually mean it? And, yeah, Josh came back and said, yeah, you know, he, he certainly means it. Um, you know, so I sort of spoke to him and said, yeah, I will do it. The first thing we had to do though, then was to find a publisher. And Ty turned around and he said, oh, you, a couple of years ago, I had a, an email from somebody who said he was from the publishers who'd like to do the book. And so I sort of contacted uh, him and he came back and he said, yeah, we would love to. We agreed a deal initially with John Blake Books. Um, and then they were taken over, and the, the guy we'd spoken to, he left, so it was obviously a little bit in the air, but Bonnier Books, who you know took over John Blake and they became all part of a big, big uh, publishing concern, they came back and said, yeah, 100%, we want to do it. We agreed terms, we signed the contract, and it started from there, but that was probably two and a half, three years ago, and then it was a matter of getting down and doing it, which was a, a lot harder than it is to be said.
0: I can imagine, because there's a, a lot of contact in there, and obviously it's kind uh, of looking, looking back through Ty's childhood, etc. as well, but as I say, we're going to get into the book later on in the podcast, but Graham, we spoke last week uh, regarding the changes in the GP, we said we were going to get yep. into it a wee bit further, uh, we've had a lot more reaction this week, obviously, we've heard from Phil Morris and Armando Castagna, uh, who are involved with FIM and in the, in the Grand Prix's. Um, Obviously, they're kind of putting forward their kind of case of how riders are going to be more rewarded now for the for the performances on the night. That was something you mentioned last week, though, wasn't it?
2: Uh, yeah, I think that a lot of people feel that if you manage to get through to the final, you, know, you should actually get more reward than possibly you know, three points. And certainly if you get into the final and finish last, you know, you're getting absolutely nothing for having got into a final. So I think that weighed in their minds. And I know there was also this concern that um, there were some, not so much Speedway supporters, but probably non-Speedway supporters who watched Speedway or read about Speedway and couldn't understand how somebody who wins a meeting doesn't score as many points as someone who was maybe second, third or fourth. Personally, I I don't think it makes any great deal of difference. I, I know this year we'd have had a different world champion, but possibly we wouldn't if that system had been going because your know, riders will get to a final and quite happily you know, settle for second place or for third place because they're just accumulating points so we can only see how it works it seemed to work with the um, points based on finishing positions when when that was running for a long time so no reason yeah there's no harm in making little changes like that is it it's not a, a huge change that is suddenly going to mean someone who finished fifth under the point scoring system, as has been, suddenly becomes world
1: champion. That won't happen, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, and I think looking at it, and it seems to be the way they're going, that they're trying to get the Speedway Grand Prix more in line with other forms of motorsport. You look at this year was the first year we saw the qualifying come back or come in, um, the sort of fastest lap. Now we've got the points more on a, a sort of uniform base of, you know, 20, 18, 16, et cetera. So I think it probably is trying to make it a bit more say, like Formula One or like, you know, most other motorsports where you have, it's not just a one-off event, you kind of have the weekend-off events, and also you kind of have that uniform scoring system as well.
2: Yeah, I would think so because, you know, we have to accept that Speedway is still, you know, something of a niche sport, isn't it? And if it can be treated as one of the bigger motorsports, you know, such as, you say, MotoGP or the um, Formula One Grand Prix racing, then I don't think that can do any harm because we've got to remember that the people who come in and take the rights aren't necessarily Speedway fans when they take over the rights, They're businessmen you know, who want to get their product on as many you know, TV stations as they can throughout the world.
0: Peter, uh, you mentioned in your off-the-beaten-track column and the Speedway Star last week, I was interested to read, uh, that actually this isn't a new concept in Speedway, is it? The original Grand Prix series uh, ran with this point-scoring system.
2: Yeah, it did. You know, that was the way it all started and and carried on. You know into the you know this century, didn't it? So, and I think it was there was probably the same debate when they uh, turned around and said, well, you know, we're no longer going on points based on finishing positions, but we're going on finishing positions in itself. So, um, you know, it swings and rounds about, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and I guess as well, for the from a rider's point of view, it doesn't actually really change that much in that, say you go going to the last Grand Prix and you're on your lead-in and you know you need to finish 7th to win the World Championship, but there's no way you can really go out to ride to finish 7th. You're just going to go out and ride to accumulate as many points as you can anyway, and then wherever you finish up is where you finish up. So on track, certainly, it's probably not going to make much of a difference, except, of course, there's that, that extra carrot for, for winning the final.
2: Yeah, there, there is always the argument that it might encourage even more racing because you do see... Some riders, when they get into the semi-final or the final, they're quite happy because they've accumulated their 10 points and maybe their 13 points. It'll certainly mean that the four riders in the final are going to be desperate to pass that flag, I would have thought.
0: Uh, perhaps more controversially, rather than the points system, the the focus for the kind of more kind of talking points uh, was the fact that you had to now finish in the top six to be guaranteed your spot for next season. The extra wild cards. now uh, the European champion goes straight into the Grand Prix series the next season. Uh, guys like Mark Lemon, Greg Hancock, Jason Crump, I've all seen them kind of comment this week, Peter, uh, in regards to. Th- how that all kind of work um what, what would your reaction be to that because obviously it's kind of european european centric really isn't it
2: um yeah but per- personally i'd rather see more riders go through from you know, my own sort of theory is to have a super grand prix challenge in which you get the first so many from the gp challenge joined by in this case it would be you know maybe the, the next eight in the in that season's Grand Prix, so there's one big qualifier. I'm, I'm not a great, you know, fan of the wild card system. I think the wild card system is is good when your riders have had particular injuries, or in, as in Greg Hancock's case, couldn't ride because of his domestic and his family situation. Um, but. I'm, I'm not sure. That seems a lot of wild cards and the controversy sometimes come from wild cards, doesn't it? And there must be a temptation not to pick a Polish rider as a wild card because they've already got three, four, maybe five riders in the the series. But my personal view is that it doesn't matter if there were 14 Poles in it, if they're the 14 best riders who've come through the Grand Prix and the qualifying system. Sure, a lot of people would be opposed to that, but... I'm still very old-fashioned, and I'd like to see the, you know, the 16 or the 15 riders who've qualified on merit in one way or another. I, think, I certainly think it's a good um, decision to cut down on the number of GP riders who automatically qualify for the following year, because you know, we do need new faces coming into it, I think. And I think most people would agree you know, we don't want the same 15 year in, year out, ad infinitum.
1: Yeah, it has been maybe a little bit of a closed shop in recent years. So hopefully this will will freshen up a little bit. And it will be interesting to see what they do with those wild cards. Because invariably at the minute, you normally find, although it's only the top eight that qualify, I think pretty much every year I can remember, whoever finishes ninth has been given a wild card. So it'll be interesting to see if they go for new names or whether the riders that finish seventh and eighth in the championship standings end up getting awarded a wild card anyway.
2: Yeah, I I suppose they they probably will. Because as you say, the the ninth rider has... Uh, yeah, without looking back at it, uh, you, know, it is hard to remember a rider who finished ninth who wasn't one of the four wild cards, isn't it? So it may change, but there again you you know you have to accept normally someone who finishes maybe tenth or eleventh in the Grand Prix is probably better than someone who finishes fifth or sixth in the Grand Prix challenge, so it's hard, isn't it you do know, you you can't just say to a rider, oh well, because you finished as was ninth, you can't get a wild card when you may be the, the best rider of the lot. If you look at the Grand Prix Challenge and people like um, Matty Zegar, uh, Niels Christian Everson all qualified or would have qualified via the Grand Prix Challenge. So it's a strange one, isn't it, as to who the the best 15 riders in the world are.
0: Do you think that current Grand Prix riders should be involved in the, the kind of Grand Prix qualifying process?
2: Uh, not, not if they adopted uh, the suggestion I've got of this Super Grand Prix challenge, um, but I suppose as it is, it's hard to use, turn round to a rider and say, well, you can't ride in the GP qualifying rounds. As the same way, it's hard for them to turn round and say, you, know, you can't ride in the European Championship.
1: Yep. And the, the European Championship, again, it's a bit of a strange one, And that I think I've seen somewhere on Twitter, and it might have been Mark Oyman or somebody replying to Mark Oyman that it's actually a European Championship in name only. There's actually, within the rules of it, there's nothing stopping an Australian or an American attempting to qualify for it, which does seem rather strange, considering its title as the European Championship.
2: Yeah, but it's always been that case, hasn't it, that um, you look back donkey's years, and the European Championship... Um, you know, involved riders, not necessarily, I think I'm right, involved riders who weren't necessarily in Europe. Um, but, you know, I, I think the answer to that is I'd much rather see, you know, as having a Grand Prix round in America or a Grand Prix round in Australia and let riders come, come via that. I suppose if you had a, a super great, I don't know, is it? I don't think there's anything to stop any Australian. Uh, trying to get into the European Championship at the moment, is there? I don't know no, if there's been so. one, but you know, I would have thought it would be more or less open house in the European Championship. It, it may not be. Yeah.
0: You know. uh, one track that's been on the kind of European Championship circuit for a while and now on the back of the, the Speedway Nations uh, last summer, Russia's going to make its debut in the Grand Prix calendar in 2020. Do you see that as a good decision, Peter?
2: Uh, yeah, certainly to have Russia running around. I'm not necessarily saying that you know the Togliatti track as it was um, for the Speedway of Nations, and you wouldn't really want that as a Grand Prix venue. But hopefully they can do something to enable people to pass on it. Um, I think you know it was inevitable, wasn't it, that Russia would at some stage get a Grand Prix.
1: Yeah, and do you think you know what they have mentioned that the you know the Grand Prix series they always seem to look to. I think they've had three or four in Australia all the time. Now, Russia, you know, do you think we're getting to a stage where, in the in the future, the the Grand Prix Series could almost be standalone and there'll be an expectation that these riders wouldn't be involved in League Speedway? Um, I know we've seen seen last year with the, the qualifying, the amount of riders that missed Friday night qualifying because of Polish matches. I guess the money would need to be there, but do you think that's maybe the, the Grand Prix Series' aim is to kind of be standalone and separate itself from the leagues?
2: I wouldn't have thought so, because I you, you were always... Unless there is a, a dramatic change in the money involved in a Grand Prix, you know the money that they can earn from the GP is nowhere near enough to give them and to cover what they earn from domestic speedway. Um, but you never know if suddenly a sponsor comes in putting up you know, 20 million a year, you know they might become like um, Formula One drivers and don't you know, drive anywhere else. Um, but what I think is more likely is that we will. You know, I'd, I'd put a house on it that within three years that we're running Grand Prix rounds outside Europe, and it isn't a European competition solely.
0: Yeah, I did do a bit of digging into the Russian GP. Um, it's not one for people to kind of go away for a nice weekend, like you know, maybe Prague <laughs> or Torin. Uh So from my Glasgow base, um, I would have to fly. Glasgow to Heathrow, Heathrow to Moscow, Moscow to Samara. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would cost me four hundred and fifty pound return, and it would take me twenty seven hours. <laughs> and then, well, the... I, I
2: think to be honest, that's probably cheaper than you going to Cardiff, isn't
0: it? <laughs> probably. <laughs> but what I, what I will say is is that when you get there, you could get a hostel for two thousand rubles, which is a bit just roughly 25 pounds or oh, is it? <laughs> or the five star hotel costs you ten thousand 000 rubles, which is about 122 pounds so it might be worth the the day that it takes to get there <laughs>
2: yeah well i do what well, if that's the case i'd get it booked now before they put the <laughs> prices up
0: <laughs> Peter, last week in the podcast, uh, we had a good chat with uh, with Louis Kerr. Uh, one of the subjects that came up uh, with Graham with the Graham address, sorry, was a, a Speedway Riders Association. But if memory serves me right, did yourself and I think it was Ollie Allen try to start up a, a Speedway Riders Association at one time?
2: Yeah, it was. It was in fact with the um, Will Speedway Riders Association that we formed a uh, a separate subcommittee to try and launch and relaunch the SRA, which involved um, Ronnie Allen, who at the time was actually going to be a former referee, but since then has stayed on as a referee. We had Pete Sampson, who was at the time um, secretary of the WSRA. There was also myself from the WSRA, and then there were riders, which was Danny King, Oliver Allen and Josh Krishanek. And we got together and we had quite a few meetings. We went round the tracks. But really, it was just total um, apathy from riders. They weren't interested in joining. We had um, maybe three riders, I think, who approached us to say, well, look, could you try and help us to get money from a track that had uh, left with big debts at the end of the season? And we certainly took legal advice on that and went as far as we could. Um, but basically you know, there was just no real interest from riders. You know, they'd express interest when you talk about them, but when it came to asking for the money to join the membership to meet the you know, the running costs of such an association, it was a fairly nominal amount. I think it was either £20 or £25 a year, and there just wasn't the support for it. And I do know that you know, we spoke to Shane Parker, who'd previously run the... SRA, but he he gave up simply because of that, that he didn't get the support from the riders. And that was someone who had a lot of speedway experience. So, yeah, if Shane couldn't get it, I suppose we were tilting at windmills in the hope that we would manage to get them interested.
1: And I mean, is there any particular reason you think for that? I mean, it sounds there like it wasn't going to be a, a big financial drain at all. And you would have thought you know, with it, the way Speedway's going, to have that ability to have either a seat at the table or to be able to group it and become a, a group rather than individuals when it comes to buying power off equipment and things like that, that actually it would be quite a big benefit to the riders.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, we'd had the support, we'd contacted first of all the Speedway Control Bureau and also the British Speedway Promoters Association and they both said that they'd recognised the association. They probably welcomed it, to be perfectly honest, and we'd approached a number of manufacturers who had all agreed to give a percentage off um, product for any rider who was a member and um, showed that he was a member. Uh, I I can't really explain it. I'm not sure why that, um, but I I suppose there is just that disinterest. I think so many of the Speedway riders probably being self-employed, they, they look after themselves and the only time they really want help is when they desperately need help. And I, you know and hopefully that only comes you know once every five or ten years for each rider but um I'm sure a a thriving s r a we're not talking about a militant organization that would threaten to go on strike. It was an organization that you know gives riders a voice they can you know particularly when you look at some of the new rules that come in the changes in equipment, then surely a
0: rider's voice
2: should be heard because it can. Help that transition to go very smoothly,
0: uh, Peter. The, the one thing I would I would think as well that when we look at last season, especially in the championship, there was a lot of chopping and changing in teams. Surely something like a Riders Association would help the riders in that respect as well.
2: Uh, I'm not really sure because I don't think that was something we discussed. Because what you you can't do, I, I don't think, and this is purely a personal view, is that you can't stop a promoter doing what he wants, that if a promoter, you know, decides he's got, to, you know, he can wants to change his team, then that, that is his right. Although I suppose you could argue whether or not a contract is actually for a length of time. I know in ice hockey, for example, that they most players have a contract written into the contract is a set period of notice. The employer can give them notice it's usually a fortnight or maybe sometimes a month and equally the employee can give his employer notice uh, i'm not really sure whether that is the right way to go but you know you do have to feel sorry for riders who have perhaps upped their average from the beginning of the season and suddenly find because someone else uh, usually higher up the order has uh, his average has gone down the promoter prepares Prefers to keep the higher average rider, or bring in someone with an even higher average, and you know someone at the bottom end suffers because of it. And as I say, a three-point rider who suddenly ups his average to three and a half or four
1: points a meeting, he finds himself looking for a new job. Yes, yeah, it is. It's a numbers game, speed, isn't it? And I guess it's been not that for for many a year since they they got rid of the rider grading, and and that probably leads us um, quite well into to this weekend. And of course. Everything that the most speedway fans looked every year is that BSBA press announcement come the end of the AGM, and we'll get that this week. Uh,
2: I don't know, do, you, do we know what's, what on earth is going to happen? That, um, what I would like to do is to hear news you know, one of these years of how they're going to actually market the sport, um, which I think is probably the most important aspect. And even from my own experiences as a promoter, which goes back a few years now, that we spent very, very little time discussing how to actually get more people in. We were more concerned about you know, what the points limit would be, what tactical changes we should have, you know, should we have green or white helmet colours and all sorts of things, whereas I think that there really ought to be you know, maybe two days spent just considering ways of trying to get people and get buttons on seats.
0: Uh, Peter, we, we see the success now, of the, the Team GB, the kind of s- separate entity in terms of marketing, we, we see some big sponsors now involved uh, with the GB team, that's obviously because they've now got people whose job is solely to find sponsorship, the more sponsorship, the more money they make etc, do, do you think it would be a benefit to the sport if there was a, a kind of outside marketing company come in to look for bigger sponsors for the sport?
2: I'm not sure whether it's an outside marketing company that's needed, but what it is certainly needed is a person with experience and knowledge of marketing and of going out and getting sponsors. I know in the past, the you know, Speedway has tried to bring in outside people and you know it's always gone wrong for one reason or another. Basically, they never brought in the money. Um, but you only have to look what um, Vicky and Rob Painter have done with, as you say, Team GB, you look at the liveried um, equipment that they have, and there are some household names on it. You know, they, they don't go to the someone who's already been involved in Speedway. They seem to be able to bring in new national sponsors. You looked at you know, Smith's Toys, and now we're on the fork covers, weren't they, of, the, of that test yes. match at Kings yes. Lynn. You know, and, and that is a... I don't believe that that company has any involvement in Speedway in any way, shape or form. Yet, you know, Rob and Vicky, they managed to go out and bring them in. And from what I know of it, you know, you're not talking about offering people something for, for a five or a meeting. You're talking about five figures in many instances. You know, so they, you know, perhaps you know, they should have a bigger involvement on the marketing side within. British Speedway, in addition to Great
1: Britain. I guess it's it's maybe always been the case, or certainly as long as I can remember, hasn't it, Speedway, where the nature of the, the, the even the BSPA is, is you know maybe 20 different individuals with 20 different ideas on how to market their individual club coming into one room and actually working that out where people can put one cohesive plan together. It, it absolutely astounds me that the, the Premiership hasn't had a title sponsor for... Well, I'm guessing at least four or five years now. And from memory, the last one was Sky Sports, who, whether they were actually given any extra money on top of the TV deal, I don't know. But you would think with the exposure on TV, um, OK, we, we all know that trying to get national press coverage is tough. But if anyone's proven it can be done, it's been Ty. Um, and obviously, the, the you know, the publicity tour, he went on for the book, which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. You know, if you've got the right people knocking on the right doors, something could be done.
2: Yeah, I I still think you can because, you know, we do still have valuable TV time. Um, You know, there's a new contract, isn't there, with um, Eurosport, which, again, that provides plenty of hours of coverage. Um, I'm not a marketing expert at all. I know very little about marketing. But I do know the people that I would go to, you know, and try and bring them in and let them tell us how the sport should be marketed. You know, let's get someone... From outside the tent to come inside instead of have everyone inside trying to decide it's it's not their expertise, is it? You look at the promoters and what they range from all sorts of fields, don't they? The people run their own companies, but sometimes it's an engineering company um, you know sometimes it's something different, and they they surely can't have the necessary expertise to go out and bring in you say a six figure sponsor because they just don't do it, it you know, It's each to their own isn't it I think you can look at some of the cracks like you can see what glasgow have done but i i don't think the senders go out and get the marketing themselves do they they have experts who appear to do it for them they have experts who do the social media and everything like that and Speedway has to get to the stage eventually if it wants to be close to being a mainstream sport of having people who are absolutely professional, top-notch people at their own job. You can't expect a Speedway promoter to know everything about what to do with TV, what to do in social media,
0: what to do to bring in big-name
2: sponsors because they've no experience of doing it.
0: Moving away from the politics of the of the sport a wee bit, Peter, uh, I also knew, noticed in the news this week uh, Dan Buhley is on the move in Poland to. I'll take us on to Ty's book here in a second. Uh, he's moving to Ty Wofenden's club uh, in the Extra league at Rotslav. Um Ty speaks in his book quite fondly of, of Dan Buhley, and last season I believe he sorted the contract for him in Sweden. Uh, Peter, do you think this is a good move for Dan uh, to kind of go under Ty's wing? I mean, he has taken quite a similar trajectory in the sport as well, hasn't he?
2: Yeah, and I think it's an absolutely superb um, contract for, for Dan because simply you can't possibly not learn from someone who has won three world championships. Yeah, you know, and just racing Poland is terrific, and is what all the young British riders need to be doing if they're ever going to compete on the same level in world events. And you, know, Dan, will make that big move. He, you know, he's a, he's certain, barring injury, isn't he, to be the under-21 representative for GB in the Speedway of Nations. And he can only get better by riding in Poland every weekend or so, but particularly when he'd be alongside Ty. Ty can smooth a lot of the humps that you hit when you go and race abroad. And I'm sure that if if Dan is the sort of person who takes advice and experience on board, that he will be a far, far better rider at the end of this or next season than he will be at the beginning.
1: And I guess it's, you know, even the the little things of just having somebody that's done it all before, you mentioned the the logistics, knowing what flights to book, what mechanics can be relied on over there, even, I guess, even being able to speak to the club, I would imagine that Ty, having spent so long over there, I'll know a a good bit more Polish than Dan would. Um, So just having somebody in your corner, and then obviously add on top of that the pedigree that Ty has, this really could be the making of Dan uh, on the international stage.
2: Yeah, you certainly could be. That um, I know Ty, for example, has all his bookings abroad. You know, going through Ian Sinderson at ATPI, and one presumes that Dan will do the same. And you know, that is again a professional approach, and that it's not you know trying to get the best deal from you know 85 different um, travel agents throughout the country. It's getting someone who knows how to make sure that it is all fitting into you that you go in you know that you're you booked on a particular flight, you know where you're flying to, you know what time etc and I think there are so many things that he can learn from he can learn from racing in Poland but I think especially by racing alongside Ty because you know Ty wants to be a winner whether that be you know at Tedley Winks or at Speedway and that means both as an individual and as a team member uh, so I'm sure that will rub off on Dan
0: uh, that takes us on nicely to the book, then, Peter. Uh, as you would expect, throughout the book, uh, Ty opens uh, speaks openly and candidly uh, throughout. Uh, a lot of experiences. It's he's had, he's had a lot of kind of hard personal experiences um, from when he was younger, right through his kind of adult life as well. Uh, obviously, it's well documented what happened to his father and stuff. Um, how much do you think those experiences have shaped Ty as a person?
2: Uh, they obviously have to. I think experiences shape all of us, don't they, in one way or another. But I think what Ty had is he he openly admits that he had something of a wayward youth, you know. To put it um, at the lowest, that he you know he was a big drinker, he was a big party goer. Uh, his father's death death certainly affected him. And I think probably Ty could have gone two ways after Rob died. He could have really become the wild child who. Never achieved everything, finished his career with absolutely nothing. You know we've seen riders like that, and we? we've thrown everything away. you know they've had the biggest talent in the world, but they've ended up on the scrap heap almost um but ty I think saw sense. he decided to get his life in order um in many ways he he fortunately met his wife Fay at the right time because Faye has been a you know tremendous influence on him. You know, since, since they did meet. And he basically learned that if you work hard and you live life cleanly, um, without going to extremes, without sort of drinking and partying every night, that you do get the rewards. And we've seen other rides since Ty. You only have to look at Jason Doyle, who's done exactly the same. That Jason, I'm not suggesting he was as wild as Ty had been, but Jason really who set his mind to it didn't they, and became a world champion and I think the pair of them but particularly Ty have shown that if you do put the hard yards in you do get the rewards.
1: And is it something that, that surprised you when you sat down to, to obviously do I guess you would have spent hours upon days upon weeks together or over the phone getting all the, the detail for the book. Did it surprise you just how open and candid Ty was or, or was that kind of was, had you set that up with him that this was going to be no holds barred?
2: I, th- I think I think that was Ty when we first um, spoke seriously about it. He, he actually said, "Look, I want this to be my true story. I won't hide anything from you." Um, there were some things, a few things that we didn't put in the book for. You know, mainly, I, I, I felt he was better keeping them to himself, and there were, you know, there were other people affected. So you, you can't always tell the absolute truth if it is going to be the the detriment of a member of the family who's close to you but he you know he began i I think the very first meeting lengthy meeting we had was a full day meeting at his at his house up in derbyshire um i I, had a tape recorder with me we sat down we sat round, you know a a table for most of it and i just asked questions and he he just answered them and then he would sort of say well what about this we also had a a big meeting, which his mum Sue was there, his grandma was there. We late had a meeting at which um, Neil Machen was there, and you know they came up with things that had happened in his his younger days, probably things that Ty himself you know, had forgotten about or couldn't remember because he was too young, and it worked like that. You know, I spoke to a lot of people in addition to Ty, um, but once you got him on a subject that he could remember, he was totally utterly open you know that there was nothing that he ever turned around and said look i don't want to talk about that i won't talk about that he spoke about absolutely everything even now he sort of says um, to me you're know, joking he says, oh we've still got plenty to do for the next book in 10 years time haven't we yeah you know, so, um yeah that that is the sort of character he is he is he is what you say, that he is very, very honest. That's why sometimes I think that he gets into you know, a little trouble in the fact that you know, promoters and a lot of or some fans you know, look upon him and feel that, that he is an arrogant sort of person. But he's not. He, he's just speaking absolutely from the heart. You know, he wants to be successful, but he wants those around him to be successful, particularly if that's the Great Britain side.
0: He does he does mention that a lot in the book as well, uh, Peter, about his drive to kinda of race for Team G B. Even though he would probably consider himself kinda of Australian after being brought up out there, he takes immense pride in racing for Great Britain. But one of the things I was gonna say as well was the people that he seems to hold the most respect for um in, in talking kind of speedway terms here like he he, he speaks fondly of, of kind of jason doyle greg hancock obviously there's a full chapter on kind of peter adams R- rob lyon who he thought was taking the, the team gb in the right direction um but one of the guys as well it's probably controversially would be nicky Pedersen, although he he doesn't speak very fondly about him in kind of Speedway terms. In terms of personally, he has a lot of respect for him. But that seems to be the guys that tie, through my impression anyway from the book, is that that's the guys that ties drawn towards to more. The people they admires is the people that, he, that drives him on, really.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I, I would totally agree on, on some Nicky, but he, he does say that you know away from the track you know, Nicky could be a friend. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not friends. Um, you know, they've had a few clashes in the past, but, but he does admire what Nicky has achieved. Yeah. You know, not both in, in Speedway and also outside Speedway. You know, Nicky has been a, you know, a very, very successful businessman in his own right. And, you know, knowing you know, Nicky probably would have been successful no matter what his career had been. And, and equally that's, uh, I feel the same about Ty. I think that if Ty had been, you know, had opened a, a branch of shoe shops, he'd now have 50 <laughs> shoe shops and a franchise all over the country because he is so, so driven and he, you know, he, he is a workaholic um, that I, you know, I, I had occasion, you know, I would go up to his, his house at sort of 10 o'clock in the morning and I can remember. You know, while he was um, off with his broken neck, I went up to the new house that they've got near the East Midlands Airport. And you know, Ty just sort of, when he arrived, he said, "Look, Pete, come outside. I want to show you something." And we walked up, and he's got a a block of stables, um, you know, within the grounds, and it had just been freshly painted. And he said, "Oh, I did all that yesterday." And there he was, with his neck brace in. You know, and you can just picture that he was wielding the paintbrush, and he spent however many hours it took him to to paint. You know, these stables. You know, most other people would have been sort of lying on the city or, or relaxing, but there's Ty out there actually doing physical work to improve his property that he owns. And you know, I think that sums him up. Uh, He'd also got a big a big drive there, which he'd laid the drive himself. He'd put a little roundabout in so cars and vans could turn round without having to back up. Again, he'd done all that. He'd planted around about 2,500 trees on this land. And you know the sort of things where he does it. Sometimes he has workers in to help him. But he was always there, always doing it, always working. He's up. At the crack of dawn, most days before he goes into the gym, and he just works and works and works. He can't sit still. You know, you speak to him, we'll talk, and every now and then he's got to get up to go off and and do something. But he he looked upon the book as as work, and he was willing to give the hours. It, you know, we we spend an awful lot of time doing it, as you can imagine. There was an awful lot, you know, which you know, simply because of the the word count that didn't go in the book. Um, which i still got, you know, hours of tapes on it. And, you know, a lot of it could have gone in, but, you know, there were things which are considered more important to go in. But that's what he is. He is willing to bend his back to be successful in anything that he does. You know, he has a, a number of, you know, he's got all sorts of ideas about his future. And I, I genuinely believe that he, is capable of ending up as the richest ever speedway rider because he will invest everything that he's earned.
1: And do you think, you know, you mentioned it earlier on, that sort of single-mindedness that Ty has to, to be successful and it's it's maybe turned some people off. Do you think Ty's going to have one of these sort of sporting lifespans where actually it'll be in 10, 15 years' time when he's no longer around that people actually realise, wait a minute, what, what did we have here? You know, he's the most successful British rider ever already. But I would say he's maybe not held in the same regard as the likes of a Mark Laram or a Peter Collins or some of the other recent world champions. But do you think maybe 10, 15 years down the line, once he's maybe out they the spotlight a little bit and people can just take stock, they'll actually realise just what we had?
2: Yeah, I'm sure that will happen. Um, You're absolutely right on that, that we will look back in, or people will look back maybe in you know, should we say 15, 20 years time? Because I've no idea how long Ty will be riding. He could easily ride another decade, couldn't he? And win, win more world titles. I can see him winning at least two, if not three, four more world world titles, as long as he stays clear of, you know, of injuries. And I think then you will look back, won't you? And you'll sort of say, My heaven, you know, that Ty Wuffington must have been some rider, mustn't he? And then you. You know, somebody's you, you father will turn around and say, oh, yeah, I remember him. And he will, he, you know, he'll be a, a true legend because his, his achievements already are legendary, aren't they, when you compare it? You look back at the world champions we've had, you know, Peter Craven won it twice, Freddie Williams won it twice. But there's at. so he was 28 at the time, wasn't they, that he, you know, he's already won. The world championship three times Ivan Major didn't win his first world championship till he was 29 Ty already has a three three title advantage um, you know he can literally become the greatest rider Speedway has ever seen uh, whether that happens or not you know, none of us can say but it certainly would not surprise me as long as he retains that absolute hunger for success that he has
0: uh, one last question for you, and then, Peter. You, you alluded to it earlier on in the interview. Um, I, I must admit, I was left wanting more from Ty after the book as well. It was just it was so engaging. Just wanted kind of it gave a fascinating kind of insight to his life and what it's like to be a speedway rider at that that level of the sport and his drive came across. But there must be an opportunity there for a second book of sorts. Well, there obviously will be uh,
2: that. Um you what? I'm never quite sure that um I know Ty himself would love to do a cookery book, for example. <laughs> um, uh, which yeah we you know I laughed as well when he first mentioned it to me. But but you see, that that's what I say, that is the sort of person that he is. Well most speedway writers will say, Oh, I want to do a you know a, a diary of my season or something there's Ty, you know, thinking about I want to do a cookery book and uh, <laughs>
0: It wouldn't be pizzas and kebabs. If you've read the book, you'll know what I mean by that, but it definitely won't be pizzas and kebabs.
2: <laughs> no, certainly it won't be kebabs. <laughs> I'm sure you were there.
0: Yeah. Uh, Peter, thank you for coming on the Talk Speedway podcast and speaking to us about the, the news this week and uh, talking up the, the raw speed, the tie with and uh, autobiography. It's been a pleasure having you on.
2: Yep, thanks a lot. It's been a pleasure to be on, Scott.
0: The fans The fans up. Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway. So, in the fans zone this week, Graham, uh, we asked for fans' suggestions uh, for guilty pleasures: sweets, chocolates, etc., etc. Uh, themed Speedway-related chocolate bars and cookies. You name it. We're all over it. Uh, fans didn't let us down this week again, Graham. Um, and there's a few absolute crackers in here. Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, that was awfully cheesy, Scott.
0: <laughs> was that intended? <laughs> there's no way that that was intended, right? So, as per right, we only got one suggestion for where this team, uh, for the team of the week is going to race. Uh, who was it sent it Marty Clyde sent in the bounty ground. I like that, yeah. I, I did really like that, I did laugh at that, but we've got a few um, kind of options for the team name, Graham. Uh Anthony Weaver sent in the Somerset Revels, which I thought was <laughs> excellent, uh, I've come up with a couple myself as well, uh, the Kingsland Star Bars, in fact that wasn't nice. me, it was James for the First Bend that suggested the Kingsland Star Bars, or the Leicester Lion Bars.
1: Yep, don't forget John Lambert sent in the Red Card Gummy Bears as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll I'll leave the team name up to you.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I can't see past red car gummy bears. That's my favourite for that.
0: Car gummy bears, like it, like it. Uh going through some of the suggestions now. uh Thomas, T- uh, Topinka, obviously topic that was suggested a few times. But our old pal Griff, who we used to do the podcast with, is a regular listener now. Obviously, Uh has informed us we, got a check knowledge here, Graham, that actually Topinka in Czechoslovakian is for toast. So actually it's its own food based kind of speedway theme thing straight off the bat.
1: Well there we go. If we ever do a bread team of the week then we know who <laughs> straight <laughs>
0: straight to graph. Straight yep. to graph and ask for it. Uh, just gonna go through some of your suggestions as to say Anthony Weaver who besties done Jan Oreo Pedersen, which which I really like. Yep. <laughs> uh, good to see riders getting involved as well. Michael Pam uh, said Ricky Wagon wheels <laughs> You get any at your end, Graham?
1: Um I, Alison Cow was in or Cowie, sorry, my Magic Stars Janovsky. Um, really light got it. that and friend James Blackett, obviously from Berwick. Uh, Mars Bartos Marslik. I do like a Mars <laughs>
0: He also had said and uh, Richard Sweetsman <laughs> that was quite good. And yeah. Fred and, Lindgren.
1: Yeah, but I did like the uh, Phil Lannan, with Kenny Kara McKinna. <laughs> or oh, Caramac, that's an old favourite as
0: well. I did reply saying I, I do have it in very good authority that Kenny loves a Caramac actually, so that's <laughs> very fitting, very fitting indeed. Uh, one I came up with myself is Tom Bacon Fries. I think that's good. Surely that can be a contender here. Nice, we like that
1: one as well, yeah. We
0: do have a funny story about Tom Bacon though, don't we, Graham?
1: <laughs> when, That's when, some outtakes that should never be aired on that one.
0: Yeah, when, when Graham and I, we, we, when we did the uh, kind of videos for the Monarchs for the preview show. There was one, I think it was a Wednesday night one, isn't it, Graham? where we actually had to break into Armadale Stadium to get the backdrop for the video. <laughs> uh, and I caught Graham by surprise. We were all set up nice and professional. <laughs> was, Graham, was that the
1: same week we had the visit for the local constabulary? Yeah, that was got... not long after it, not long after it, when
0: the police came and asked us what exactly we, were, we thought we were doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I set Graham up a cracker and said to him Tom Bacon comes to Armadale this week but his form's been a bit streaky <laughs> <laughs> It took us about 20 minutes to get over it as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were halfway through different links and we just couldn't get through it. But uh, good times, and breaking into Armadale Stadium and stuff. Right. I think we just set ourselves up for a court appearance there as well. Anyway, back to the team in hand. Uh, I like, there's a few had suggested this, James Black and Fiery Bird. Uh, Luke Double Decker. <laughs> 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 Which I liked. Uh, James for the first bench sent in a few, but I especially I liked... Patrick's Dudic, <laughs> really like that. <laughs> really like that. I'm kind of pars- uh, twix myself, so that's probably how I'm kind of leaning towards that one.
1: I think uh, we hit certain members of the audience's absolute heaven, um, fairy Bird As you mentioned in particular, she must have sent about twenty. In um, I think we we're right in her wheelhouse.
0: <laughs> Definitely, because some of hers contain Ryan Terry's chocolate orange, like <laughs> ain't that uh, chalk nickel um, one of my favourites, actually, that she'd sent was Nikolai Lint. Very good. But, but, and if yeah. you're eating Lint chocolate, there's a bit of poshness about you there, I would say, it's as like, well. It's, can't or, hide the money or uh, our listeners Scott? Can't hide cash with Bellevue fans, anyway, <laughs> um, Any more at your end, Graeme? Um, there was
1: a few more. I did like uh, Snickers Pedersen as well. Um, as you mentioned, Rory Shalayan from the <laughs> Bar. Bar. Um, obviously, Rory announcing this week that this will be his last year in British Speedway. Um, so good to get Rory out of the team as well.
0: Oh, definitely. I liked uh, Thomas Stopper. That was from John, John Lambert. <laughs> um, uh, I'm just trying to kind of get through it. A few here in uh, Steve Webb, Butternut's, uh, Butternut scotch Nickels. Yeah, oh, Fred
1: O'Lundgren was another favourite, another Anthony Weaver one.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Right, we need to make a team out of all these, Graham. Um So, like I picked Emil, he has been run off last week as the number, <laughs> number one. Still makes me laugh when I listen back to the podcast this week. Believe it or not, we do listen back. I actually, I'm <laughs> still killing myself laughing at that. Listen to even myself, see it? Uh, so you can pick the number one this week, Graham. Uh
1: Number one It's a tough one, but I think... Uh, Ulrich Ori Ostergard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm going to go at number two, one we haven't mentioned yet from Ian Warden. Uh, Sherbert Dip Harkins. <laughs> 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 That's number two for me. Yep.
1: Um, I don't think you can have a team of the week without the world champion, so Mars Bartos Marslick gets in at number <laughs>
0: eight. Fantastic. Uh, this is one of my favourites. Marty Clyde sent in uh, Jimmy Tunnock's Tea Cakes. <laughs> fantastic work Murray. fantastic work yep
1: yeah. and uh, always want to encourage riders to get in touch so I think it would be remiss of us if we didn't put Ricky Wagon Wheels in Michael Pamtoff's suggestion
0: <laughs> but I went uh, I'm going to put Anthony Weaver's suggestion in a Jan Oreo Pedersen I did like that that made me laugh yep
1: yeah. and as I mentioned last I think was it week one or week two of the podcast, are winners of the season. Uh, double Luke Becker as well, double Decker.
0: <laughs> there you go. What's that we're up to? Is that six? Have we got one more? Uh, to I go? think that's
1: six, yeah. There well, we, you finish us off.
0: One more to go. Eric Riesbach. There you are, number seven. You're German, <laughs> number seven, German, Eric Riesbach. There you go. That is your Speedway themed sweetie. Team of the week, your seven riders. Uh, Graham, that all brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Uh, as you would quite rightly say, if you're on any sort of platform of podcasts, um, that doesn't sound right, but whatever you listen to the podcast on, uh, whether it be Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, whatever, get subscribing and following, uh, yep. so you know when the podcast goes live. Uh, also on social media, follow us, retweet us, like us. Try let's try and grow our uh, kind of fan base and get the podcast yep. out there. Again. Any
1: reviews great for received as well on on Apple Podcasts always helps boost you up the the rankings for people to find. So if anyone wants to click that, we five stars. Uh, Please feel free.
0: I also noticed on the, the Anchor, uh, Anchor FM app that you can leave voice notes. We could put maybe uh, could encourage listeners to leave us some voice notes that we could play in the fan zone as well. Yes,
1: all will be edited and made <laughs> sure for any explicit content.
0: <laughs> correct, correct. <laughs> uh, until next week, when obviously it will be post-AGM, uh, we can... Pick through the bones of what has been decided in the new rules for the new season, uh, but until next next week, good night.
2: Talk Speedway. Talk Speedway.